Hello and welcome back in. This is West of Everest and I am Lee Benson, joined as always by Grant Benson. It's Championship Sunday in the NFL and unfortunately Baker Mayfield will not be involved in either of the games today. We'll save some brief NFL talk for the end of the show. Coming up, one sooner received a notable yet ultimately meaningless honor this week. A former member of the football program lands on his feet and will have an immediate shot at revenge. We will explain. And in the world of college football, Jim Harbaugh has left Michigan and a record-breaking wide receiver may have broken another kind of record while in college, but he's not going to like the reward. We've got all of that and probably more coming up on today's podcast. So without further ado, let's say hi to Grant for the first time. Hi, Grant. Hi, Lee. How are you today? I'm super. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) On this beautiful Sunday morning. Oh, man, I got in here just like while you're going through your little monologue, your very brief monologue. I'm just like, man, I got to I got to drop in. I got to I got to have a dynamite drop in this morning. And then as soon as you, you threw it back over to me, it was just blank, just gone. I got nothing like hell. Yes. Hello. How are you? How are things? How have you been doing just, this week? I'm just I'm trying to think of an example of a quarterback that just had had no help from his receiver. Well, Baker Mayfield didn't have much help from his receivers at times the last couple of games, but then. They played better at the end. Like Mike Evans was the reason why he threw that first pick in the game against the Lions in the first quarter. I mean, Baker Mayfield not getting help from his wide receivers is a is definitely sort of like a storyline of his NFL career up to this point. So, (laughs) okay, yeah, we'll we'll probably talk about Baker a little bit coming up later in the show. But before we do that, we got some OU stuff to talk about since this is an OU football podcast, as we all know. What? It's late January. Since when? I mean, I, I realized I listened back to last week's podcast, and man, what a huge mistake it was to even talk about the NBA for like three minutes. That was, I hope nobody turned it off, but it's possible people just totally turned off the show and said, nope, sorry, it's over. I mean, but it's, it, it is the off season. Like, we're like in the dearth of the off season. I, I mean, it's, it's not like we didn't talk about OU stuff last week, but I don't know. People like the Oklahomans, they love, like, they, they love their thunder in Oklahoma. I mean, it's, so I figured might as well, might as well throw like a little bit of a lifeline to that crew, right? Sure, and this is why we put the time codes in the show notes so that you can skip around to the stuff you want to listen to. So it's late January, as we all know. The national championship game was a couple of weeks ago, so we're in the middle of way too early season, which is basically content season for college football. So all the big riders out there, all the experts put together their way too early lists and rankings and you know you name it whatever it is it's way too early for whatever and all of it's completely worthless (laughs) but in a way it's I guess not because it's designed for us to talk about and so we're going to do that for a bit today here on the show and so this week we saw that ESPN's Chris Lowe published his way too early All-America team for 2024 and I got to say, Grant, I got a huge problem with this entire list. Just a massive problem. We're going to go down each position, first team, second. I just, okay, I'm kidding. No, I, I don't really care. Not at all. Uh, but frankly, what, do you, did you have a huge problem with some of this stuff? Are you, no, you going to come just, in with some hot takes? I, I just think it's hilarious that we're, we're, we're kicking off the podcast today. Our very first segment is one where you're just like, yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the great. thing is, a lot of other people care about this stuff other than me. So... I thought it was an interesting just, list. I, I like this stuff. You know, it's, it gives you a good idea of like how people are thinking going into next year. True. And 
one of the the challenges I like to have doing this podcast, and I'll be honest with you, certainly more so this offseason than maybe last offseason. I don't know. I'm a little more energized. Maybe people can notice that. So when it's a topic that I'm not that interested in, trying to make it interesting for the listener is a challenge that I like. So hopefully we can do that to you uh, for this podcast topic right here. It works your creative muscles a little bit. We just gotta, you know, that's that's what that's what radio is, right? You got you got to make you got to kind of make the dull and mundane interesting. That's that's where the talent comes from. That's what the best do. We're gonna give our we're gonna give it a shot right here. <laughs> give it a shot. All right. So there is one Oklahoma Sooner on this Chris Lowe All American way too early list, and that Sooner is Danny Stutzman. And Lowe lists Stutzman as a second team linebacker. The first-team linebackers are Harold Perkins from LSU, Deontay Lawson from Alabama, and Barrett Carter from Clemson. So there you go, Grant. Danny Stutzman getting some love here in late January from Chris Lowe of ESPN. Let's throw a parade. Jacob Lacey just absolutely ripped off here. I don't know. How is he not on this list? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, He's going to put this list. He's going to print it out and put it up in his dorm room. Probably didn't have a dorm room. He's doesn't probably doesn't Chris Lowe also know that Woody Washington <laughs> is in his ninth year of college football? He's I mean he's <laughs> right. he just he knows what's going on. Like how how is he not on this list? I don't know how he's not on the list. I is is Buki still playing? I don't know why he's not on the list either. I feel like he's probably still in the league somewhere. Everyone still, getting ripped off. <laughs> still in the league. <laughs> in the in college. Uh, yeah, I mean. Okay, so I'll, I'll take this seriously. I'll talk about Danny Stutzman a little bit. So my first thought is there's obviously going to be some high expectations for Stutzman coming into 2024, and not just for him, for the Oklahoma defense. We all know they're returning almost all of their starters. I just hope that this, these expectations don't lead to Stutzman getting too big of a head. Uh, I mean, right now he's already – I'd say he's already feeling himself quite a bit. Looking at uh, you know some of the photos he's taken, kind of like what he's feeling. Like he's got a lot of confidence. Back to back, a hundred plus tackle seasons for him. First team All Big Twelve last year. He was an Associated Press third team All American at linebacker as well. He's the leader of the defense. So I mean, he's feeling himself, and he's going to have to work really hard this off season, get in great shape, watch a lot of film, and not take anything for granted going into what's going to be his final year of college. So hopefully he does that. Hopefully he's mature enough to, to hunker down and do that. It's going to be year three being coached by Brent Venables. Now Zach Alley enters the room as well. And hopefully you think that Zach Alley can come in and help him out, maybe be more of a, a beneficiary or more, more of a benefit to Stutzman and the other linebackers compared to what whatever Ted Roof was doing. And uh, I, I think this is a good thing, though. Obviously, that Stutzman is on this list. You know, And he's, this is not going to be the only list. I'm sure there's going to be some early top – whatever list, All-American list, that Stutzman's name will probably be on. And, you know, the biggest point about bringing Britt Venables in as the head coach at Oklahoma was to revive the defense. The defense was terrible. And heading into the SEC, the best conference for defense, in my opinion, given the competition and challenge of the league, Oklahoma has a guy who college football riders expect to be one of the best linebackers in the conference, which then would mean that you're one of the best linebackers in the nation. So, This is a good thing, and we'll see if Stutzman can take it seriously, do all the work. Uh, It's the game should be a lot slower to him right now, going into you know his it'll be his third season as a starter, and that's what we all hope for. And and he can not only be 
really good himself, but lift other guys up around him. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not concerned about Danny Sussman at all outside of you know health, you know, for this upcoming season. I thought in the first seven games of this year, he proved that he took all that stuff seriously last offseason. He made a massive jump. He made a huge jump from year two to year three last year. And you know, I, I had said that you know, I thought he was already one of the best linebackers in the country until he got hurt in the Kansas game. And then he was sort of a shell of his former self, of course, didn't play in Bedlam. Um, and then, you know, he just very clearly was not healthy down the stretch. And uh, I thought that was pretty clear when you watched him. So uh, hopefully he'll uh, he'll take care of himself in the offseason. He'll take another step. And, I, you know, I, I don't think it's at all crazy to think that he's once the season actually rolls around, he's going to be he's going he's to be on a lot of first team All-American preseason lists. Um, this one right here, there, there's a lot of projection going into this, um, especially with someone like Harold Perkins, who is uh, who is, you know, who had a great season two years ago as a true freshman. But then LSU kind of screwed around with him this year, and he didn't really do much at all this past season. He was, and LSU was one of the worst defenses in college football this past year. So I think, you know, Harold Perkins just kind of get, given the benefit of the doubt there. Is this a big deal? No, like literally not whatsoever. Um, if Danny Sussman stays healthy the entire season and he plays the way that we think he's capable of playing, he's, he, he's going to be on these lists at the end of the year. He's a. I, I said he's he is the best linebacker I've seen at OU in years and years over a decade. Uh, he's played he's he's played at that high level, uh, you know, a level that we just have not seen for a while. I mean, I, I would say like the thing that like the the person that comes to mind is probably since Ryan Reynolds, like that 2009 season was probably the like this is the best I've seen a linebacker at OU since that year. And, and, and like, I know they had a first rounder. I know they had Kenneth Murray, but Kenneth Murray was. As you know, we've always you know, a lot of us have conceded his first two years at OU was was a liability. It wasn't a very good player for OU, and um, you know Jordan Evans, you know had was was kind of up and down. Dominique Alexander was a draft pick. He was an up. He was up and down. Uh, the first seven games of the year, Danny Sussman was consistent, was great, was very obviously the best player on the team. And I, I felt like it had been a really long time since an OU linebacker had established himself like that. And I'm fired up for Danny Stutzman. I think he's definitely carrying the flag going into next year. If you want to point towards one thing, one guy um, that you can be confident in that you know will lead the charge for OU to turn things around more forcefully on defense, it's him. It's him. Uh, he, he brings a lot of confidence. He gives me a lot of confidence as a fan. After all that praise of Danny Stutzman, watch massive plot twist. Kip Lewis is actually the best linebacker on the team coming into 2024. Boom. And it's That'd be sweet. I, I would. Lo- How about? Yeah. What about man? What about like Lewis Carter? He's still on the. He's still on the roster. Remember, like, I think that's um. Kobe McKenzie. Kobe McKenzie. Although I mean, there's there's other guys too. And I, you know, Desan McCullough is a guy who is. We'll see what his role is going to be if if they change the defense up a little bit. I uh, it's it, it's definitely going to be interesting going into the next season. I, I think one of the um, you know, the last couple of weeks or you know, last month really, I think. NIL and, and OU's inability or, or ability to get guys out of the transfer portal has been kind of the A topic in the fan base. And you and I have only just kind of briefly touched on it. We might do more of like a dedicated episode that just to kind of get our final thoughts on that before we head really, really into the offseason. Might do that later down the line. But I, I think lost in all of the NIL talk is that, hey man, there's still a lot of guys that we're in the 2023 recruiting class who are here. They didn't bleed a lot of those guys at all. They, ha- they just haven't. And there's a world, right? Those guys are allowed to make a jump and turn into really good players too, guys. Like it's, that's the thing that we've kind of forgotten about. And like, I know that 
the Ole Misses of the world, Tennessees of the world, Missouri to a certain extent are kind of eating OU's lunch head to head right now and in the transfer portal and guys that we feel like that we want. But OU is is eating those guys' lunch on the recruiting trail in high school, like aggressively. And so those guys that they that they've, you know, that they've gotten in the in out of high school, they're still there. And that potential is still there. And there is no rule in the book or anything in the universe saying that those guys cannot make a jump to make OU better and more competitive than we really think they're going to be on paper. You know, another guy that you certainly expect to make a jump or that you and a lot of other people hope make a jump in 2024 is one Billy Bowman. And you said recently on our podcast that Oklahoma might have the best linebacker and the best safety in the SEC going into 2024. Well, our boy Chris Lowe here doesn't really agree with that at all because Billy Bowman's not even on his his two deep All America team, uh, which okay, it's the entire it's the entire nation. But uh, you see on the safety list, you got Georgia's Malachi Starks is on the first team, along with now Ohio State's Caleb Downs and Xavier Watts of Notre Dame and Rod Moore of Michigan are the second team safeties. So uh, I think it's it's pretty fair to argue that that Starks guy from Georgia is better than Billy Bowman right now. I mean, he was a consensus first team All American this past season. And uh, so Billy's got some work to do here in the SEC to separate himself as one of the better safeties. I'll take, I'll take the L on that. I'll be honest with you. When I said that, I, I 100% assumed that Malachi Starks had moved on from Georgia. Um, not, not in the sense that he had gone somewhere, that he just ran out of, el- or not out of eligibility, that he'd gone to the NFL draft. No, he was a true sophomore this past season. Um, no, Malachi Starks is, is, is by far the best safety in the SEC now, uh, like by a large margin. So the dream is dead. There, there goes that. Well, who knows? Maybe Billy could be the, the, the other safety. You know, it's, it's Starks, and then maybe Billy's up there too. So, uh, but also, like, on. like OU, doesn't, OU doesn't play Georgia, so that's cool. Until they play him in Atlanta yes. in the SEC title game, baby. Baby, here we go. Yeah, uh, I still don't like Georgia, mainly because I thought they were awesome, and then I have no idea what I saw in that Alabama game. It just, everything, it was so confusing to me. It was a totally different team, and watch, they'll just, They'll bounce back next year and be awesome again and winning the whole thing again. So, and I think a big part of it is, you know, one, you got Nick Saban is the best coach maybe in the history of organized, you know, sports in the United States history. I don't know. And then, <laughs> and also Carson Beck is good, but he's not transcendently great. And there you go. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a that's big part. That's probably pretty fair. Yeah. So I do want to talk about more of Chris Lowe's All-American team aside from the defensive players, but I do want to keep it here on OU real quick and let's say that Stutzman you know he makes an all-american team in 2024 or multiple teams and OU's defense next season you know actually turns out to be really good like we hope it is or hope it's going to be you know it gives up somewhere in the neighborhood of like five yards per play the pass defense is a lot better Uh, the takeaways are still there they get after the quarterback the run defense is you know comes back to where it was the first half of 2023 and you know really good and OU, basically OU's a defense that looks like a good SEC defense that we've all kind of seen. What is one other defensive player that you would like to see making an All-American list, you know, whether it's first team, second team, sometimes there's a third team, besides Danny Stutzman? And even, I mean, Billy Bowman's the easy one, but even besides Billy Bowman, is there another guy that you would like to see on that list? Yeah, I think this one's pretty easy, actually. And it's like if, if, if OU's defense is going to take the next step to being like really, really good, this is almost 
100% necessary. This like kind of has to happen. This guy has to take a step. Lee, for me, it's Gentry Williams. And it's not even really particularly close. They need a lockdown, shutdown corner that they can rely on 100% of the time. Uh, I don't think I, I would disagree that it's not close. I think that's a good one. That was my backup. Uh, but the problem is, is yes, that would be great. It's just, I mean, what we've seen from him, he can't stay healthy. And he's like kind of the, the logical corner. Uh, but again, his health is a huge question mark. And, you know, it kind of makes you think, okay, if it is going to be a corner, then maybe it's one of these unproven guys that's on the roster we know about, but hasn't played much and they can embrace the SEC and be an awesome player. Uh, I'd say my top position or player actually would be a defensive end like Ethan Downs or PJ Adebarowe. Because then to me, that would mean that like either one of them wrecked havoc off the edge probably double-digit sacks or close to that. And to me, it would be a sign that Britt Venables' defense is trending more towards what it was consistently at Clemson. They're starting to get some pressure on the quarterback from the edge because I talked about it a few weeks ago that defensive ends at Oklahoma have not done a whole lot the last four or five years and haven't done anything really in the first couple of years of Venables. And so if a guy like Downs is getting after the quarterback or, I mean, at a, at a bar away, then to me, it's like, okay, that means like the defensive line's got, gotten pretty good, like gotten better, and then that helps out the back end, you would think, and then the pass defense improves. But obviously, you get a, a corner that's locked down. That, that's great, too. So I think maybe both of them would, would improve and maybe lead to what we kind of hope the defense looks like in 2024. I mean, sure, if I think if we're, if we're talking about like pipe dream, fever dream, like, yeah, you would want any one of the guys on the defensive line to, to progress to be like some sort of all-American type, type player. Where I get like I, I like Ethan Downs. Like I, I've been kind of the leader of the hey Ethan Downs is is good actually fan club for the last two years. Um, I, I don't he's not I don't think he's capable of being all American good. I, I don't know he's not that type of player. Um, at a Boraway because he has the pet the pedigree as a high school recruit, you can talk yourself into that more. But from what we saw this past season, he would have to take massive strides. I mean, there would be he I he would have to have one of the best off seasons like in the history of OU's football program, uh, you know, and, and, and like, you know, when he was out there, like I, I thought he, you know, he, he established himself pretty well. Like he didn't see, like he wasn't getting dominated or anything like that, but he also didn't make a massive impact whenever he was out there um, outside of just kind of looking the part and just like when you saw him on the field, like, Oh wow, that guy's big. And um, I mean, like I, if, if, if PJ out makes that step and he turns to that, like, I, I mean, it's like, you're, you're going to see, you know, like human interest stories, like on college game day and stuff like that. That's what you're talking about. Like, oh, this guy in the off season, like his his work regimen and all of that. And does he have that in him? Maybe I don't know. But that's something that we're going to figure out. And so, like, I would love someone like Dejon Terry to be that guy, but I, I don't think he possesses that talent. I don't think anyone thinks that. And so that's why I landed on Gentry Williams because that's the only one that I think is like from what we've seen so far. And you're right. I mean, he he cannot stay healthy. And we've talked about. Like it's been one of the biggest themes of this podcast for the seven seasons that we've done it is that especially, you know, one of your beliefs too is availability is like a skill. It's it's a thing. And, you know, I you're you're kind of frustrated by people who can't stay on the field, just can't figure it out. And Gentry Williams clearly at this point in time has shown that he's got a little bit of that in him. And so it's very, very logical to be like, ah, you know, I don't know if that's realistic. But when he's been healthy and he's played at the top of his his ability, he's the only other guy that I could say, yeah, I know I could see that guy being an all American which is why I went there. Cause to me, it, it does seem okay. kind of realistic, but I say all of that with caveats, like absolutely dude can't stay healthy. And that needs to be his biggest 
that absolutely needs to be his biggest emphasis in the offseason, rehabbing and getting to the point where your body is ready to take this on because they need him. They desperately need him at 100%. Yeah, and so and I'm with you. And the reason I, I picked Downs or, or PJ is, you know, obviously PJ's his potential is up there. I mean, five-star guy and just he's so long and length. But yeah, he's got to take a, a big jump. And also Downs, I know he's been around for a while, but Downs has made, he's made strides. Like he, even though I would like his numbers to be more, you know, eye-popping. He still led the team in sacks, and I think he got better from year one to year two under Brent Venables. And so he's a guy to me, like, I think he, he could still make strides and maybe be even better. So who knows? Uh, but, yeah, the interior guys like DeJon Terry, Jacob Lacey, I, I, Terry's already played in the SEC, I, and he, he, tra- he transferred. Uh, Lacey, they're good players. So then I guess if you're going to go from the defensive line, you want a, a lottery ticket and you want to get lucky, it's, it's one of these – Somehow these freshmen come in and actually look good. And, but it's just in the, like how often do freshmen in the SEC on the defensive line come in and look good? I don't, I don't know the answer can, to that question. Maybe it I happens. That, I can answer that question. Harold Perkins just did it two years ago as a true freshman. And you know who actually has, the be, has, has kind of that, that pedigree, that profile in this, in this recruiting class? It's Danny Okoye. Very, very similar levels of recruit as well. Very similar style of players. They're kind of like... Harold Perkins and Danny Quay are both basically kind of like the Eric Stryker position, but actually like good size. And, you know, Harold Perkins just sort of wreaked havoc his true freshman year as a, as a pass rusher. And he was on some All-American teams that season. Is that realistic for Danny Okoye? No, probably not. But if, if there's any guy in that recruiting class who could maybe, it's, it's him for sure. Like I've, you know, I've, I've gone through and I've kind of watched all this stuff and I feel like I'm pretty familiar with, their, with the guys they got coming in. Okoye is the best in that class, man. He's the, he's the, he, he's the guy. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about the, the All-American team as a whole, just things that stood out to us as looking at it. The first one is look at the quarterback, and it's Carson Beck as the first team, but Chris Lowe's got Dylan Gabriel as the second team at Oregon. And it, okay, um, I guess, yeah, you could certainly defend that. <laughs> no, I, I, you absolutely can. Like, I, I looked at it and like, I don't, I don't have a problem with those two guys being up there. I think when you go back and you look at the dudes who are returning for next year, like, yeah, those are Beck and DG are the are the, the two top guys, and actually by like quite a bit. And then like when you go a little bit further down, it's like the guy that OU just played in the Alamo Bowl, Noah Fafita, is really not that far behind. And so like I say all of this just to say if Carson Beck and Dylan Gabriel are the two best quarterbacks going into the 2024 season. And like these are good players. Like don't and everyone knows how I feel about DG. He was just spectacular this past year for OU. But if those are kind of the consensus two top quarterbacks going into the 2024 season, on paper, that's a weak year for quarterbacks. Period. That there's just there's no doubt in my mind that's the case. Yeah, so I look at the list of potential guys that that can be really good next year. I mean, Quinn, you got to throw Quinn Ewers in there by default. I mean, he's going to be going into what is 30 years a starter and you know I, I he's, he's a good player but he has his limitations and you know how much is how much has sark helped him but also maybe hurt him who knows but quinn yours is in there i really like jackson dart at old miss i think he's really good he's a guy that could it's you know especially considering that old miss is kind of going all in i like him a lot other than that i mean a lot of people are going to probably pound the table for jalen milrow and milrow is a little more interesting with Kalen DeBoer coming in and you know, a, a new offensive philosophy, maybe they can unlock him a little bit more. He's just, he's just not a very good thrower with the football, like at all. 
And so he's, and he's inconsistent. I mean, he throws there's a nice deep ball every now and then. Sure. But he's not, you know, he's one of those guys like, you know, ask him to to competently execute like a mid range passing game. Like, no, I mean, he's he's utterly incapable of doing that. He needs a lot of work. I mean, he can I'm sure he could do it if he gets the right work, but whatever it was at Alabama this year, it wasn't that. And it he again, it's it's ridiculous that they were able to get as far as they got with what they had. So yeah, I mean, I guess in one way, you could say, what a great coaching job by Nick Saban. But also, maybe on the other hand, you could say, well, maybe that's why Saban decided to call it quits because he kind of saw he was slipping and his roster wasn't as good. And like, how, how many years can he just like coach over coach these teams and get them where he wants to go? Probably not much, much longer because, geez, that offense was, for the most part, fine. Like it wasn't the defense got better as the year went on. It turned into a pretty good Alabama defense. Yeah, like yeah, relative, you know, relative to the rest of college football, it was a good offense, probably a top 10 offense in the country. But, you know, if you've listened to this podcast a long time, you know that, like, you're not truly great on offense in college football until you can move it on everybody. There is not, like, it, it's essentially like this year, it's like, who, who are the, the offenses that could probably move it on everybody? I, Oregon and Washington, maybe. And we saw Washington couldn't move it on Michigan. So I, and Alabama definitely was not that. I think OU could move it on anybody. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I agree. I, I think they could have. Yeah. Granted, they never really were tested. I mean, the best defense they faced was face was Texas, and Texas is a good that, defense. No that problem. was a that's a top ten defense in the country. But also, they were, you know, you could throw on them for sure. Even though, I mean, it was OU didn't really throw it on them that well in that game. They they weren't super yeah. efficient. But yeah, and we say that, and at the same time, it was an offense that was making our making us pull our hair out against Oklahoma State and Kansas. And so two teams that you should be able to move the ball against at will. So, I mean, inconsistent. It, yeah, it, probably they wouldn't have because now that I think about it, because they would have been overwhelmed. And yeah, their, their running back situation was probably not going to be right. And anyways, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, all right. So other kind of notes from the list that I was looking at, like four of the five first team offensive linemen on this list are SEC players. And four of the five second-team offensive linemen on the list are SEC players. Oh, boy. <laughs> a lot of good offensive linemen in the SEC, apparently. No surprise there. And, yeah, I, I also noticed, too, yeah, I mean, and three of the three of the five first-teamers are, are on OU schedule. So Will Campbell at LSU, Parker Brailsford at Bama, Kelvin Banks at Texas. Very familiar with Kelvin Banks. And the other note that I jotted down after looking at this list I, I guess i probably should bring up that ollie gordon's the top running back on here first team i i guess i like ollie gordon but i just don't think he's that great <laughs> i mean he's but at the, i think I, I, I was listening to and i should have thought about this and i'll give uh eddie over at sooner scoop some i think it was eddie uh some credit for this like you know weeks ago when they're on one of their podcasts uh maybe around like the the January one bull I, I think Eddie might have brought up like imagine Ollie Gordon behind like you know Michigan's offensive line or playing like out it's like okay yeah like I'm sure he'd look great just like uh like Blake Corum looks so it's like it, that's a good point I, but then any any good running back behind a better offensive line is gonna look even better so I guess uh, yeah I yeah. mean with with Ollie Gordon you just I that's one of those things where you just you just intellectually you cannot argue against his numbers um when you like his his stretch of games, like starting like with game number three or four of the season, and like some of the games that he ripped off, like that's I mean he's 
guys who put numbers up like that, it, they're a tank, like obviously. Um, but also, like my feelings around Ollie Gordon are similar to yours, where he just doesn't scare me. He doesn't scare me as a player. And uh, and that like that's always the first thing that I think of is like, is that guy scary? Like when he touches the ball, are you like, oh crap, oh crap, something terrible is about to happen? Never felt that way with Ollie Gordon. When OU is and you're playing. gonna and, and you're gonna totally disagree with this because we just have a disagreement on this player, but. I, I like Chuba Hubbard a lot, like Chuba Hubbard, because he was fast. He was a lot. He was very fast. And Chuba's done okay in the NFL. He's carved out a role with a bad team. So it, I say that because, like, I was a lot more worried about Chuba Hubbard than I've been of Ollie Gordon. And I think it's like Ollie Gordon's, his size is, I don't know if it's a help or a hurt for him. He's just so long and lanky. Maybe he's easier to hit and tackle because there's so much of him. And he's not, like, he's not giant and thick. I don't know if that helps or hurts him i tend to think maybe it hurts him because I, I mean he's fast but he, he doesn't look like he's a and maybe, maybe he maybe he's a track guy too i know chuba was and maybe i'm just i just don't know about his background but yeah i don't know the last the last oklahoma state offensive player that i was truly truly horrified of was tylen wallace that guy was scary and of course he, he's done he's done nothing at the next level and he was just he was just a very scary college player he's good yeah he was a really good player at osu so there's that, and the last note I had is you go down and you find Kicker. You think, Kicker, what? who cares? But uh, it's Graham Nicholson from Miami of Ohio, and I remember watching all the bowl games a month ago or more than a month ago and seeing Miami of Ohio and seeing this guy and looking at his numbers, and he was, I think he was, uh, what's the, is it the Groza Award for Kicker? I think he, he might have won the Groza Award. Uh, and my question is, why or how did this guy not get in the portal and try to get paid to transfer to a big school who needs a kicker, like, let's say, Oklahoma? <laughs> I, I, unless that's just not a thing that teams do. I, I, I don't know. Like, and obviously, like, I don't want Oklahoma to just pay a bunch of money for a kicker because especially a guy coming from the MAC and he goes into pressure situations in the Big 12, now SEC, maybe he's not going to be anywhere near as good and the pressure gets to him and he misses a bunch of kicks. So maybe that's part of the calculation too. But Miami of Ohio's kicker is an underclassman coming back, and he was one, the best kicker in college. So it's very interesting to me that he's still at Miami of Ohio. I hope the answer to that question is he likes it at Miami of Ohio and doesn't want to leave. Great party school, I hear. Oh, oh yeah. Actually, no, that's, that's not Miami. It's, it's just Ohio University that's the huge party school. And Athens, really? Ohio. Yeah. Like, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure they get down and have a lot of fun at Miami, Miami of Ohio, too, but it's... It's uh, it's it's Ohio, the the other OU, the Bobcats in Athens. That is the the big notorious party school. Ah, okay. Miami U is in the other Oxford, <laughs> Oxford, Ohio, not Oxford, Mississippi. All right, so that's all I have. You have any more thoughts on the All American list that you want to get up? No, I mean I I do think it's interesting. There's um, you know, if you go to the go to the defense, there's three guys on OU schedule on the first team defense. Uh, Tennessee defensive end James Pierce Jr., Harold Perkins, the aforementioned, and then Deontay Lawson uh, from Bama is, is one of the linebackers as well. So um, get used to it. They're going to be playing a lot of All-Americans here in the, uh, I, for the foreseeable future. All right, next up, just a, a quick note. I saw this week that Football Scoop reported that Zach Alley is going to bring on a Jacksonville State defensive analyst over to Oklahoma, Henry Weinreich. I believe is his name. He had worked under Alley the past two seasons at Jacksonville State. Don't uh, don't really have a whole lot of thoughts on this. Just wanted to mention that because that was 
something that happened uh, this past week. Uh, Grant, do, do you have any hot takes on this uh, this, this news? <laughs> this is this is it, man. This is this is what's going to do it. This is the final piece of the puzzle. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I do know that as they go into the SEC, they they got to make their staff bigger. They they need to be looking at it more from a professional football standpoint. And if if this is just a step in that direction, great. But I'm they need to start getting. They need a scouting team. They they need everything. They need to make it as professional as possible, uh, because sort of the wild west nature of college football right now necessitates that. You have to. You, you got to. If 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 you don't if you don't want to fall behind, and if you're also not going to compete in the NIL dollars with like you know the top five schools that are spending that money, you got to find your advantages elsewhere. And it's going to have to be. You're going to have to play the game smarter. And that that's like that's just where Oklahoma is right now. And um, I I already know like they've already you know with with Venables coming in two years ago, they've already made their support staff way bigger than it ever was under Lincoln Riley in anticipation of going to the SEC. It needs to be bigger. They need more guys on there. Yeah, I just, uh, I guess the last thing I'll say on this this guy, uh, Heinrich, uh, Henry, Henry, or Weinreich, sorry, Henry. Oh, Henry. Let's just hope that he's a better defensive analyst than Bob Diaco. <laughs> wow, Bob Diaco just catching strays. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if he's even working anywhere right now. Who knows? All right, next up. This is, uh, you know, hopefully, I, I spent some time on my teases at the start of the show, so I, now we're going to pay off some teases here. Alex Grinch, back in the news this week, and he is hired as the Wisconsin safeties coach, according to the Wisconsin State Journal, and, now, and also multiple reports. I was the first to report and Alex Grinch uh, gets fired by USC. It's fired by Lincoln Riley. And almost immediately gets a chance to throw it back in Lincoln Riley's face. Week five, this upcoming season, September 28th, Wisconsin at USC at the Coliseum, baby. How about our boy, uh, boy Grinch uh, going into the Big Ten, Grant? What did you think about when you saw this story? Good for him. Uh, part of me is kind of cackling a little i think it's kind of funny that wisconsin my my second least favorite college football program has hired alex grinch as you know i i think that's kind of funny that that sort of uh gives me a fist pump a little bit but also i hope there's some redemption there for alex grinch as we said uh you and i really like alex grinch as a person i think he's a cool guy i don't think you can deny at all his first two years at ou he greatly improved the defense they took a massive step in 2019. They took an even bigger step in 2020, which, you know, it was a fake season. It clear, a lot of the stuff that happened that year didn't really have any sort of implications whatsoever. But um, I st- that 2021 defense, it's just unforgivable how bad that defense was. I, I still think the first two years at Brent Venables, those de- both of these defenses have been better than that 2021 defense. And that 2021 defense had like eight NFL players on it. What? What? Defense sucked. Absolutely sucked. Let's see. Eight NFL. That's, that's a lot of NFL play. I don't, let's see. Okay. I uh, got the list here of their stats. So, Asamoa, okay, technically NFL guy. DTY, NFL guy. Uh, Nick Benito, obviously an NFL guy. Winfrey, Isaiah NFL Thomas guy. Isaiah Thomas has been in the league. What? Perrion Winfrey, NFL guy. I'm just going through the, the list of tackles. Isaiah Thomas. Um, Perrion Winfrey's way down here in tackles, so that's I think that's that's five NFL guys, not eight. I think there's more than that. There's more than that. There's more guys who played in the NFL. 
Deshaun White, does he play in the NFL? No, I don't think so. Has Justin Burroughs played in the NFL? Yeah, didn't you? Are, are, I mean, we're going to see. He he's plays on the, uh, he's, not, he's on like the 49ers defense, isn't he? What about David Aguebu? Is he, has he uh, you know, made a name for himself in the league so far? <sighs> Key Lawrence. Danny Stutzman will play in the NFL. So, okay, he was a decent bit player. So, they're, okay, there's six. Uh, DJ Graham had a great first year in the NFL this past season, I remember. Oh, wait, no, he's, he was injured. He's okay, five. Try to make five, it five NFL Utah draft State. Picks. Five, potentially six with Danny Stutzman. It's if you go back oh, to... Okay, you know what? Billy Bowman technically played a little bit that year, so Billy Bowman will probably play in the end. Okay, there's, there's seven for you, and that's, that's all I can get. I don't think Reggie Grimes is going to make it. I don't think Jalen Redmond's played in the NFL. That 2020 defense, though, that did have eight NFL players starting for them, though. Those five, the, the five aforementioned guys already, plus Ronnie Perkins, Trey Brown, and Trey Norwood. Indeed. And I think, what right. the 20, I, mean the, I think what that 2021 season defense proved was that Ronnie Perkins, Trey Norwood, and Trey Brown were three of the best OU defensive players in the history of the program. I say that very, very much tongue-in-cheek, but they collapsed <laughs> without those three guys. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting point. So it's as much as we hate the 2021 season just for so many different reasons, and, you know, could, in, you know, in hindsight and fast forward however many years, you know, especially if, if Brent Venables works out, which still it's the jury is still out on old BV, that's going to be one of those seasons where it was necessary and things it had to happen. But as bad as that defense was, as how much you hate that defense, Grinch's defenses the last two years at USC were even worse. <laughs> Dreadful, like, yeah. Much worse. Their defenses were like, we're 2018 OU bad. Which, yeah. hey, there's, there's one common denominator in, in, in all of those defenses. Actually, two. Lincoln Riley and Benny Wiley. Ruffin McNeil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lincoln, yeah. And also others, too. Like, who else? Like, who else? What? Like, Roy Manning as well and others. <laughs> oh, man. So just to kind of just give some, just to kind of give everybody a, an idea again. I know we've talked about this a million times, but Grinch, yeah, you mentioned it a moment ago. Grinch definitely did improve the defense those two years. In 2018, Oklahoma had, like, the worst Power 5 defense in college football. Worst right? defense in program history. Well, yeah. Uh, overall, 114th in the nation, total defense, allowed an average, on average, 453 yards per game, which is so bad. 6.1 yards per play. Uh, worst pass defense in all of college football. All of college football. Dead last. Gave up almost 300 yards per game on average through the air. And in 2019, a year later, Grinch's first season, the defense went from 114th in the nation to 38th. I mean, a gigantic, massive jump. Uh, yards per play improved by a half a yard, 6.1 to 5.6. So that, you know, the yards per play wasn't great, but still a major improvement. The pass defense was much better, went from 294 allowed in 2018 to 222, which was about you know middle of the pack in all of college football, 58th. And then it even got better in 2020. Oh, you had a top 30 defense in 2020. And yards per play, 5.2. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, man. You're on five yards per play. That's really good. I mean, that was top 30. Pass defense actually got worse compared to 2019. It took a dip, and that was the sign of things to come. Uh, went from 
you know, 245 a game allowed in 2020 to 261 allowed in 2021. And the past defenses for, for USC the last two years were in the hundreds. And the total defense were in the hundreds as well. And then, you know, of course, he got fired with however many games left. You know, four or five games left. He got fired finally. I, I don't know. It's clearly he must just know people. Uh, I mean, Wisconsin's defenses have been terrific. <laughs> Granted, Luke Fickle just had his first year. The defense was still good. Not as good as it had been. But now you're bringing a guy in here that he's the safeties coach. His past defense has been atrocious as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> and now Wisconsin's like, yeah, we're going to bring this guy in to develop our safeties. The guy's on the back end. It, I like Grinch a lot, but, man, he, hopefully this will help him kind of recalibrate his football, his, his whatever. Like, his, his, his scheme is bad. I, his, his philosophy sucks. His and scheme sucks. It is it's garbage. It can it can pretty much only work if you got if you got a bunch of NFL guys and they already know what they're doing. Like I I don't know, yeah. There's like some of your some of your stuff around kind of the like the the Peach Bowl in 2019 about just how 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 it was just such easy pickings for LSU and like oh you made it so just by how they were lining up and like how they weren't even you know they 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 weren't hiding anything. It was just like this is our defense and and you know you got Joe Burrow and the two best wide receivers on planet Earth knew that, and they just completely exploited it. And oh, you didn't even try. Like it's because his scheme doesn't allow you to try. It's just all about just execute your thing and play really fast. And it's all about like reacting. And it's like now that I like I I, I hear people talk about defense, and it's like reacting to stuff is like the last thing you want to do. You want to anticipate things. You want to dictate. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. You want to dictate what the other you know what the offense is doing, and not the other way around. And they just. I well, I mean, whenever they went up against, whenever Alex Grinch went up against good offenses, even when he was at OU, got got shredded every single time. And I'm not even sure if Alex Grinch is a good recruiter because I went back and looked at. So it's like maybe Wisconsin's like, oh man, like he can bring in like so all these good safeties, some four star guys. You know, maybe I'm not not gonna bring five stars, but I'm not even sure if he's a good recruiter. And I'm also pretty confident that. Grinch has not been able to develop anybody. So I went back like there was only a couple only two classes really that he was involved in at Oklahoma. And here are the defensive backs that they brought in in 2020 and 2021. Bryson Washington, he was actually a safety. Kendall Dennis, Justin Harrington as a transfer, Joshua Eaton, DJ Graham, who was an athlete at the time, wasn't even sure if he could play DB. Uh, none of those guys have been anything. Justin Harrington was finally starting to maybe, and then he got hurt. So we'll see if he even gets, you know, it, maybe he's trending to coming back this next year. But none of those guys are did anything. I mean, DJ Graham had his moment, and then it went away. So that's 2020. Didn't develop any of those guys for the most part. 2021, Billy Bowman, okay. But he also was recruited as an athlete. I, I think, was he planning on being a defensive back? Do you remember? Yeah, he was always going to be a DB. I but like okay. I they don't I'm sorry. That that previous coaching staff screwed around with Billy Bowman at an unforgivable level. Uh, they just yeah. they had no idea what they wanted to do. They had no plan. They were just like, "Oh, whatever. Patch it." Wasn't he playing corner for yeah, a time being? Co- when- playing corner. They're asking him to cut as a as a true freshman, never really never played corner at that level, asking him to to cover Quentin Johnston. And it's just like, "Get out of yeah. here." Like, I I'm sorry. Just 
And then like he they they put him into like an, a completely unworkable position, has a bad game, they bench him the rest of the year. Get out of here. Oh yeah. Oh that, yeah. That, that's right. That coach that defensive coach that coaching staff is a joke. They have no idea what they were doing. Okay, so yeah, they brought in Billy Bowman, but uh he's gotten better, no thanks to to Alex Grinch and that coaching staff. Uh Jordan Mukes, actually a safety, didn't didn't do anything. Remember him Threw just him randomly in. against Kansas State on the yep. road? Yep. And because, you know, Chris Klein in Kansas State, they have a they have a really good coaching staff. As soon as Jordan Mukes comes in the game, they just instantly go deep on him. And touchdown. Uh Damon Harmon, uh he didn't do anything until Grinch and the company left and had like, played a lot for some reason last year in twenty twenty two. Okay. Uh Latrell McCutcheon <laughs> and uh Key Lawrence transferring in as a safety. Wow. Yeah, those are the those are the the two classes kind of that Grinch was involved with defensive back wise. Holy cow. That's like one of those things where it's like, you know, a portion of the fan base that is always like, I mean, just look at look at all of the misses that they've had in the recruit, like in the recruiting cycles, the last like handful of seasons. And just like when they're when they're kind of trying to contextualize the the difficult nature of the thing that that Venable stepped into. When you highlight that like defensive back room under that's like that's that's your best argument right there. Holy crap. That is just a that is a gulf of productivity and of quality and I mean you brought up Billy Bowman but you know he he doesn't really count in that regard but uh, Key Lawrence is the best player out of that like the one at the time who is like who even pl- and he's you know he goes to Ole Miss now and most most OU fans are like sweet we got Ole Miss on the schedule it's going to be fun targeting Key Lawrence. <laughs> And so you hear all those names, and it makes even more sense now in hindsight. All three years coaching for Grinch as a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, his safety duo, which he was the safe, like he was the safeties coach and the DC. His safety duo all three of those years, as we all remember, was Delarian Turner Yell and Pat Fields. All three seasons. DTY, and good like, player. Good player, DTY. Yes, like but the thing is like nobody else was developed, and nobody else could take their jobs. Again, yeah, DTY, good player, starter, yes. But Pat Fields, man, was, was at best an average player, and he was just begging for somebody to take his job. Nobody could do it. Oklahoma could not develop any other safeties in that back end to take that guy's job or at least spell them for time. Like, they played, like, the most snaps. Like, they never left the field. So, I... Not a great track record, and I, you know, I can't speak to USC the last couple of years. I didn't, you know, I don't know if their safety room's any better or worse or whatever. But you know, maybe well, they had the year one last year. They had they had that All American safety, that Kalen Bullock, and he was back this year. And I don't, I don't think he was on any All American lists. Hmm. Okay. Well, maybe like going to the Big Ten and facing mostly poor pass offenses is is exactly what Alex Grinch needs to kind of get his mojo back. Like I know now Washington I and at, Oregon and now I want to look at their schedule because I don't think that's the game. Like I think they probably play some pretty good pass offenses, actually. Well, they got USC. They got Oregon on their schedule. I know you like but you know, like, you know, Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota, they play, they're still there, Grant. They play Bama. They do. They play do. Bama week three at home. Um Penn State, nah, probably not. Oregon, yeah. Uh yeah, they don't play a lot of good pass offenses. That's pretty as far as like, actually, no, their schedule's pretty tough. They play, I mean, they got to play Bama, Penn State, and Oregon on their schedule. That's a tough schedule. Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough schedule for sure. 
Uh, but on the other hand, you know, maybe those teams, like maybe those those uh, those non good offensive teams, will see that Alex Grinch is now coaching at Wisconsin. They'll be like, okay, here we go. Let's sling the ball around. Let's 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 target these guys on the back end. Maybe Nebraska is, uh, can can toss it around the yard a little bit next year with the the number one quarterback in the country almost almost certainly uh, starting for them next year. I would assume Dylan Riola. Maybe. Any other thoughts on Alex? Again, like Alex Grinch. I really appreciated his time at Oklahoma as far as the media goes. He was always up front. He didn't obfuscate. He didn't lie about stuff. Like, when you asked him questions, if he didn't know the answer, he, he would just like, – which ended up being a lot because he did not know how to fix the defense. He, he wouldn't lie about it. He would just be like, I don't know. <laughs> and it was – which, like, on, on one hand, it's like, dude, figure it out. You, you got it. But on the other hand, he's a football guy. He definitely loves football. It's just – Go back to the drawing board, man, with your scheme. It sucks. I like you, but your, your, your idea of, of good defense is bad. I think, um, and maybe he's just coming in to coach the safeties, and he's going to be sort of swallowed up by already like a pretty strong defensive culture at Wisconsin. Maybe he'll grow. There'll be some growth there for him, and I hope there is because uh, it's very easy to root for Alex Grinch because he's a good dude. He's a super good dude. It's... I mean, I'm making fun of him a lot, and it's it's purely football related. I mean, and the results on the field, I we have all the receipts. It's it's bad. All the guys they recruit, bad. Like they couldn't develop. But as a guy, as a like super cool dude, pr- appreciated his time. Always like talking to him. I would like to see him revive his career. I would. That'd be cool. I don't know if he's ever going to be a DC ever again, but if he can turn out to be a really good position coach or something, and but yeah, he's gotta he's gotta go back to the drawing board. The rest of this, we just have some college football thoughts. I don't really have any more specific OU things to talk about. But I mean, it's worth noting that Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan to go to the Chargers. That's one, you know, one of the big stories this week. And Sharon Moore is taking over at Michigan. I don't know if the the, the couple things. Man, Michigan had Harbaugh or Harbaugh was at Michigan. He was there for nine seasons. Man, the time just flew by. It's a long time he was there. I didn't realize it was that long. And uh, 89 and 25 at Michigan. I found this kind of also interesting about Harbaugh's time. In bowl games, three and six. And they hadn't won, They went a long stretch without winning a bowl game. His first year was 2015. They won uh, his first bowl game. They didn't win another bowl game at Michigan until this past year until the Alabama Rose Bowl like wow I mean they won a lot of games in a lot of years but he did not have a whole lot of bowl success which I mean I don't know how much that matters but I mean they won a national title so who cares but I uh, just kind of I didn't realize that until I went back and looked at his numbers so I'm um I still I mean and of course I mean he just won a national title so it's it's hard to like say this like right now as as you're still basking in the glory of winning a national title uh but it just reminds I mean Three, four years ago, there were people who had the hot takes of saying that like Michigan should move on from Jim Harbaugh. At the time, I thought that was a terrible take. Um, Jim Harbaugh single-handedly revived their program from being just a, a middling Big Ten program. Um, Jim Harbaugh was always the architect of them being elite again, always. And so, I and you know they got to the point where they won a national title. So obviously, like they're their culture and all of that stuff is going to remain strong because that not, not that stuff is not going to be burned down in one offseason. The remnants of that will remain. But Michigan is going to take a step back. 
there is no doubt in my mind. And Sharon Moore, like you have to you take your hat off. Or he, he did a good job in the four games that he had to step in this year, and 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 you know and be the interim head coach while Harbaugh was suspended. I you're, but you're saying goodbye to one of the best college football coaches of all time. It's they are going to take a step back. And frankly, I, it's still there are other programs in the Big Ten, and I know they just won the national title. But historically, and where they are, there are other programs in the Big Ten that care more about football than Michigan does. And it's, I, I, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Michigan's going to take a step back to where they were, like in the early part of the 2010s, or like where they were under Brady Hoke. I don't, I don't know if that's realistic right now. But it's, I, they still don't recruit at an, at an elite level. They don't really play the NIL game super hard. I think a lot of their success over the last like handful of years especially was finding the right guys, developing them, and it was the Harbaugh magic. They're going to start slowly taking a step back. Ohio State just cares more than they do, period. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you, if you're a Michigan fan, I, don't, I mean, you want the continuity. Obviously, they want to keep the team together. That, that's a big part of this. He's been with Harbaugh at Michigan since 2018, so it's, that's a good amount of time coaching underneath Harbaugh so the thought of if you're a Michigan fan like okay hopefully he's got that same kind of magic but I'm with you I mean how can you not anticipate them to take a step back mainly because their recruiting has been not like like they're overachieving like they're overachieving with what they do on the recruiting trail got to get a new quarterback now they're starting over there uh, it's and I, I think you're kind of seeing like, it you saw it with like when Clemson was going through their dynastic period they they only had like one top 10 recruiting class like during that stretch like they were kind of in the teens a lot of the time which is where Michigan is right now and i think you know it it clearly is possible to to hit diamonds in the rough and strike gold there and especially keep guys around like one of the talking points with Michigan this year is that they were the oldest team in college football a lot of dudes came back a lot of 6 year seniors on that team especially on their defense um, Clemson had a lot of they always had guys coming back for their last year of eligibility they were always like their five-star guys they did get were always developed and they always turned into dudes and we know at Oklahoma right that there's a level of luck with that there's a level of just kind of falling into that sometimes and I think what Michigan has been over the last three or four years is definitely just those opportunities colliding at the perfect time for them and it was just their time and the thing is, their style of play, the way they won this year and the way they've won in the past, but they haven't gotten over the hump until this past season, their style of play is so is mostly antiquated in college football. Hard-nosed, awesome defense with like a fine, okay offense that gets you over the top. Like, can they continue? I mean, because that style of play is what, what, Har- what Harbaugh obviously goes for. Like, you want to have a great hard-nosed, the culture is great on defense, and that seeps into the offense too, and everybody's really hard-nosed and works hard. And then they finally are able to get over the hump. Is that going to continue with Sharon Moore? He's an offensive guy. I mean, are they going to still maybe try, you know, have this culture of awesome defenses, or is it going to be a thing where maybe the offense gets better but the defense takes a step out? It's kind of. I mean, it's pretty interesting to see where they go with it. I I don't know if he's going to be the same kind of guy as Harbaugh. I mean, he coached underneath him for a long a long time, but he's his own person. He's going to probably have his own ideas, his own philosophy. So I don't know, man. It's it's interesting for sure, and I mean that week two, yeah, you know, Texas visiting Ann Arbor. That's that's a fascinating game. Uh, it just it really is just to kind of see where sort of the elites of college football in twenty twenty three. Where are they vis a vis twenty twenty four? Michigan, 
basically graduating a majority of their two deep that won a national title. Texas, uh, guy, essentially their 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 biggest time players, the guys who 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 are the most uh, you know who most drove their success last season are gone. They're replacing a lot of guys. That's going to be an interesting game. I it's just to kind of see where teams are going and, and which direction because I it wouldn't surprise me if that's like a if that game is kind of like a like a traditional Big Ten game where it's just like the two te- just like a battle of attrition the two teams trying to figure out how they can move it on each other and picking their spots to like take shots. I want to move it on to the next topic and this is just kind of the. This is like the random kind of ridiculous topic of college football this week and kind of the NFL, too. And you all probably heard about Kayshawn Butte from a former LSU player who's now with the Patriots, apparently. Uh, he, Butte holds the record for most receiving yards in an SEC game, Three, uh, 308 against Ole Miss back in December of 2020. Uh, well, now he, uh, he, he may have, uh, he may have uh, another record in his midst of maybe number of wagers placed in a period of time or number like he's arrested for allegedly illegally betting while underage. Uh, he was charged with computer fraud, which is a felony count and a misdemeanor count of gambling under the age of 21. Did you see the story this week? Did you look yeah, into it. it at all? I saw it. I, you know, I, it's it is what it is. I, if you break the law, you should be punished for it. This is not that big of a deal. So the, what makes it interesting, though, is just the, the sheer number of bets and the amount of money. And I think, I think the amount of money is the reason why he got in trouble here because he was betting hundreds of thousands of dollars over like a 13-month uh, stretch, which is like, holy cow, NIL must be uh, doing pretty well for some of these players. Holy oh, cow. absolutely, absolutely. And so, yes, him, him betting that much money is certainly interesting. And like I, but the only thing I can think of is just like how on – have a little common sense, man. Like, I mean, that's just, you're so obviously going to get caught doing that. I just, with throwing that amount of money around, but it's, it I is just, what it is. You know, I, it's, to me though, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's akin to, to being caught underage drinking and it's just like, you finally got caught doing it. I, it's, it's, it's really, morally, it's just really not that big of a deal, but you break the law, you should be punished for it. It's a principle of mine. The thing is, it's not, an apples to apples comparison though because of how much money he he wagered that's and that that's when i think that's got to be why they got involved i mean if he was wagering and also the fact that he wasn't really doing a, a good job of hiding it did you see what his <laughs> the usernames he used i did not on no, his FanDuel account it was his FanDuel. and by the way like FanDuel, um look you know according to reports FanDuel tipped off police to like hey they're there could be a, a, a college athlete placing wagers, which uh, that was it. But his, his usernames, he had two. Um, his, first, his first one was, hold on, I'll make, make sure I get all these. Uh, Kayshawn Butte 7. <laughs> Sorry. And the other one was Kayshawn Butte 01. Those were his two usernames he used. Just not even... Not even trying to hide it. I mean, I guess it could have been like a big Kayshawn Butte fan. Like, oh, yeah, woohoo. That's, that's uh, pretty no. I guess like what I say is like, I just, I don't know if there's like a huge. I, what's the difference between him gambling when he's 20 and then what's the difference with him gambling nine months later when he's 21? It's 
like I get, it, and we have we we have like barometers for these things, and we have barriers, and like you know you should follow the law. But also, it's just like it's just not something I'm going to get that worked up about. I don't think he's like morally in the wrong here. It's just it's it's sort of an arbitrary number of age there. Well, the the gambling thing that I mean that's a misdemeanor. The, but the the issue is where it comes in is him like it's like fraud because he like pretended to be uh, with like charged with computer fraud, which is a felony account. So and like he used you know like his mom's card or I don't know, like. But again, I I think the reason why this went downhill for him is one he didn't make it very hard to detect but also the amount of money and so he in a 13 month period and this is the interesting part to me in a 13 month period from let's see what was it it was from uh april of 2022 to may of 2023 in uh in 2022 he bet $450,000 placed $450,000 worth of wagers in 2022 and lost 65k during that time and in 2023 and this is only a few months of 2023 he bet $186,000 and lost $16,000 so that's more than that's like $630,000 wagered in a span of 13 months and so I was like you know what what does that average out to be (laughs) that averaged out to uh, I think it was like 396 total days in that span, he averaged 22 bets per day. His average bet total per bet per day was about $70. So on average, Butte was putting was wagering more than $1,500 on bets every single day for 13 months, which is absolutely insane. I, That's crazy. And, and so it's like, yeah, I mean, where my head starts to go there is like he's clearly a gambling addict he's clearly addicted to that um that's that's very much you know addictive behavior and but like where i come back to is like and and i see the computer fraud and like i i understand why that's a felony it's because you're you're defrauding a company into also committing a crime letting an underage person gamble i i get that i I get that logically you have to prosecute that and i understand that um the only person who got hurt in the situation was himself that's it and so, like, that's where I just, it's, it's hard for me to care that much about it. Yeah, I really hope he doesn't go to jail or anything. I mean, it's, it, the thing is, all the bets were with, with FanDuel. So, I mean, in theory, like, they're, whatever the taxes, like, I don't think he was, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't think tax fraud could be a thing. Because, I mean, with all that money, like, because everything would have been the same. It's just he was underage, and, which is, like, dude, yeah, you're that- dumb. That money was already taxed. Yeah, you know, he, unless he had. That would be an issue if he was like trying to hide money, you know, and like that's, I don't think that's a problem at all here. So hopefully he doesn't go to jail or anything, but it's just uh, a couple other notes that like he he bet on, and this according according to the affidavit, uh, he he bet on at least 17 college football games and at least six of them were LSU games. And I think there was one, let's see, I'm looking at the story on The Athletic. There was one other note of a game that he allegedly bet on that he was involved in. Did you see that? <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, and he, I think everyone was trying was like questioning like what was his bet? Was he betting on himself? Was he? Yeah. So here it is. He allegedly placed a wager on a September fourth, twenty twenty two game, LSU and Florida State. So I think that was the opening game of the season a couple of years ago, and he allegedly bet that he himself would score at least one touchdown. 
and placed another bet. So he, he basically placed a bet on himself to score a touchdown, a touchdown bet. And he placed a separate bet that he would have over 82 and a half receiving yards. Oh, here we go. Both wagers were part of an eight-leg parlay. <laughs> That's hilarious. But also, I remember him being like a ghost in that game and doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think I saw people tweeting about how he, he had maybe like a couple of catches for like 20 yards or something, and that was it. So, uh, again, I hope that guy doesn't go to jail because it's just – I don't think this is – he's again, like he's not – yeah, I don't think he's like a guy that uh, – anyways, whatever. It's Hopefully he has some good lawyers and he can maybe do community service or something, and uh, his NFL career might be over. I don't think that's going to ha- – at least for the time being, but Probably. maybe it's I over mean, forever. It's- yeah, I mean, and I don't think, and that's kind of, I, I think that's sort of the implications of this or, or the, the consequences of this. It's like we already said, this is very obviously gambling addictive behavior. And if you're, if you're you know, chronically addicted to something, in, in a lot of, in a lot of, lot of instances, you're not going to be welcomed in, in your workplace anymore. It's just, that's just kind of how it works. That's, that's sort of the social consequences for those things. So yeah, I hope he doesn't go to jail. He just, he needs help. He needs to go to like a, a gambling addictive thing. And that's, yeah. that's what it is. And like, and like, I'm one of those people, it's like sort of like the shame and embarrassment of having to do that. That's punishment enough. He didn't hurt anyone but himself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I just found that interesting and it's a slow time of the year. Figured we'd talk about it a little bit in case you all hadn't heard that much about it. Maybe Again, it's we're laughing at this guy. Like it's his life is now upside down. But yeah, hopefully he gets some help and he doesn't go to jail. That would be really annoying. Like, uh, that would, but I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Other than that, I mentioned at the start of the show, we all know Baker and the the Bucks. They followed the Lions last week. I mean, they played the same day that we recorded last time. Uh, they gave it a shot at the end. Uh, I think Baker played. Baker played pretty well. The last his last throw was awful. <laughs> His last pick was terrible, but for the most part, I thought he, he played played pretty well on the road. And uh, his, I think, you know, he couldn't match Goff and the Lions' offense in the second half. The you could say, yeah, maybe Baker needs to be better. Baker's got to go ahead and match him score for score. Part of me, I'm just because I'm biased towards Baker Mayfield. Bucks defense, get off the field more, man. Like three straight scoring drives you allowed. Bucks After defense the Bucks was got back in the game was atrocious. They were bad, and also you know the Bucks offensive line is putrid. Uh, it's they need to, they absolutely need to invest in that in the off season, because um, I mean that was the whole deal is that Baker was just under constant duress the entire game, and that's kind of all she wrote at that point in time. But yeah, I, I put the Bucks losing that game was on their defense. Their defense was terrible. I mean they were awful on third down. They just could not get off the field. There was that it was like third and nineteen that Detroit got. That was just oh my god, completely oh my unforgivable. Gosh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I, I thought Bake for the most part was was terrific in that game. That was that was one of the better games I've seen him play at the NFL level. And I'm glad you know other people have pointed it out. Like in his his playoff appearances in his career, he's been good in the playoffs. Like he 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 shows up and he plays well. Yeah, there was in the first half of that game near the end of the first half. I texted you guys in our text thread. I was like, man, like Baker kind of looks like. This is the closest I've seen him, maybe since his rookie season. Like, reason control and kind of like he's back at OU. Like, he just is kind of going through his reads. He's looking confident. It didn't continue into the second half. I mean, he did. He needed to do better coming out of the locker room. I think they had a couple of three and outs to start the second half, which that's on him. I mean, that's on him in the offense. Uh, but once they kind of got back in the game, I think they did they tie it maybe, 
And then from there on out, I think the or maybe they got within a field goal or I, I, I should probably have the box score. But there was a moment like where it looked like the like they scored a touchdown, I think maybe to tie the game or something. And then the, the Bucks defense gave up, I think, like either two or three straight scoring drives. It was, ba- it was back-to-back touchdown drives they gave up, right? Because I, I thought they tied it at 17. And then the Bucks, and then it was, and they, Detroit had back-to-back touchdown drives to make it 31 to 17. Then the, then the Bucks drove down, scored, didn't get the, didn't get the two-point conversion. The rest is history. But I guess you know the Bucks defense did a good job getting getting the ball back to their offense with plenty of time and multiple timeouts to get down the field. Did they have multiple or did they not have any timeouts? I can't remember. Uh, I think they had. No, they did because one. they because they sat oh, yeah, on no. a timeout there at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was it was tied at halftime. It was ten ten. Detroit scored to make it seventeen ten. Baker answered. Baker and the Bucks answered to make it seventeen seventeen. And then Detroit scored in like two minutes. They and then then the Bucks went three and out, and then the defense gave up an eighty nine yard touchdown drive. So yeah, Detroit scored three straight possessions to make it thirty one seventeen, and then you know they they tied it or they scored Baker's and the Bucks scored to make it thirty one twenty three, went for two, which that's a whole other discussion. Like I'm, I think going for two, I, it makes sense to me. I think the whole analytics thing, I get it, makes sense to me. People that had the Bucks. Um, or people, yeah, people that had the Bucks. What I guess minus, uh, was it seven? No, I guess it wasn't. The number was like six or six and a half. So I guess it would have mattered. The extra point still would have been Lions covering. Either way, yeah, uh, yeah. How about that though? Like, I didn't notice that until I saw people tweeting about it after the game about how the Bucks did not call a timeout at the end of the game. There, did you see like? That? I didn't. So I was I was watching it like kind of via tape delay. I had, I was out doing something. I recorded it and I came back and I just like kind of quick sprint watched the entire thing to get to the end. And so like when it was over, no, like I just kind of turned it off. I didn't I didn't see that until the until the discourse happened later. And um, I mean yeah, people are right. Like, they should have called time. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta at least you gotta at least try to punish Detroit and Jared Goff for being stupid in that scenario. Yeah, and. I think uh, Todd Bowles was asked about it after the game and just said something like, yeah, the game was over and that was kind of it. And I have no doubt Which, that that's, that's probably exactly what he was thinking in the moment. But oh, yeah. then you realize where they were on the field. And no, man, you're going to force them to kick like a 50-yard field goal or punt or do something else. Like They actually had a decision to make there if you call a timeout. And I think that was something I didn't realize until a couple of days later when I was actually digging into it more and it was more of more of a discussion i didn't realize where they were on the like they were kind of in no man's land where they would have had to make some sort of decision and so here's in case you don't know what we're talking about here's the the whole scenario the the lions are are taking knees after baker's terrible interception (laughs) the game's you know the game's basically over but detroit i'm sorry tampa bay had one timeout left they had one timeout remaining and they're taking knees and so Jared Goff on third down snapped it like didn't use the entire play clock takes a knee and with one timeout left Tampa Bay could have called that last timeout with about 36 seconds to go which would then force Detroit to do something on fourth down to snap the ball on fourth down and where they were on the field they probably would have attempted a field goal but it would have been a 48 yard field goal they're in a dome, so I mean, yeah, he can make it. But you know, if the field goal's good, the game's over. Great. But if he misses it, 
Tampa Bay's got about 30 seconds to go down the field. I mean, it's still their chances of winning are very low, but at least you have a chance. But if you like, they just need like they basically just need 15 yards to get into like legitimate Hail Mary territory in that situation. And it's like, I mean, a Hail like teams winning on a Hail Mary in the playoffs has happened within the last decade. Yeah. I mean, at least you have it's a very low probability of winning. But as a coach, in my mind, your job is to give your team any sort of chance to win. And so and we're all, you and I are on the same page here. Like what clearly Todd Bowles, the game was over. He didn't even think about it. And nobody else on the, the team even did it. Like no players went to call timeout again. Like everybody was like the game's over. That's on the head coach. And another part of this I find interesting. I listened. I, I mentioned before on the show, there's like one national sports talk radio show I listened to. And it's got Brady Quinn on it and LeVar Arrington two guys that played in the NFL and they talked about this whole issue on their show last week and both of the guys uh Quinn and LeVar Arrington were kind of like with Todd like they were kind of like yeah don't like not a big deal like two guys that actually played in the NFL didn't think that like it was that big of a deal they didn't call timeout and like just like yeah the game was over so what which I found to be fascinating like these super competitive guys would not have wanted to even though the chances of winning was probably less than one percent didn't want to at least try like that's crazy to me like the 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 other guy on the show is like not a not a pro athlete he was like yeah I'd want every chance to win I don't I don't get why so I what do you think about that like two former pro athletes were kind of like didn't didn't bother them at all but that was interesting I, I understand that I understand that from like an emotion standpoint but no, I mean, if you're you're paid to win football games, you have to do everything. Like while there's still time on the clock, like just logically speaking, you got to give your chance, your your team every chance to win. So I like I get it, and like and the game, like for all intents and purposes, was over. Like I I understand that that thinking, but it also wasn't completely. So you right, and so yeah, it's like and of course, like the chances of them missing a field goal, the chances of them even trying a field goal in that situation, I wouldn't even kick if I'd punt, I'd punt in that situation. And there's just they have no they have really no chance as as long as like your defense doesn't do something stupid, because like I, but yeah I mean at least force them into that decision at least force them into like some sort of like you know add add you know add another chapter to the storybook of Detroit misery, which is like I feel like in that situation that's what I would be thinking about. It's like Detroit was made to screw up the situation. Yeah, and you're right. I mean maybe they would have punted. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, it, it, and, but you're, it makes them make a decision. Yeah, but if, but of course, like when that happens, you're you're just you're crossing your fingers. You're hoping for some sort of mistake. So like if you know you're hoping for a missed field goal. If they punt, you're hoping you're hoping for like a snap over their head or something or uh, anything like that. Like they that's what Tampa needed to to have really any sort of realistic chance to maybe get a shot to win it on the last play of the game. But I mean. I, like I'm just thinking, it's it's not that crazy. Think I mean the Vikings just six years ago won on the the Minneapolis miracle. Like on that when they were, I think they were like 65 yards away from the end zone, and it was just they somehow caught New Orleans just in a in a brain fart basically, and they ended up winning the game. And like I, let's say Detroit misses a field goal there, and there's 30 seconds left, and you got what like you got 70 yards to go, 70 75 yards to go. They would have been in much better position than the Vikings were at that point in time in the game. Yeah, and it's not the it's not the NFL, but heck, I mean, Alamo Bowl, man. You talked about how Arizona needed that miracle random play to have go for them or else the game was over. It, they got a miracle random play out of nowhere 
and the whole game turned on that, and Arizona won the Alamo Bowl. Like, it's, again, the chances are very, very low. It's just give yourself a chance. Like, I'm a very big give-yourself-a-chance guy. Like, that's, I, I don't know. I, I just think back to when I was in high school and was a kid, you know, and you think, in hindsight now, I think, man, I, I wish our coaches would have prepared us better for certain games. Like, we, I, in football, I won a lot of games, but some of our biggest games, we lost. And it's like, we, we probably should have been better prepared. And as a kid, I didn't know anything, but it's up to the coaches to put the players in that position to be as prepared as possible and have a chance to win. And when you're the coach, you have control over that. And even though the game is basically over, the Lions being dumb with the, the Neals make them make a decision. Even though your chances of winning, like it's still, it's it, it makes them make a call, and at least you know going, going away that you did everything you possibly could to, to maybe win that game, as opposed to like man, like if if I'm a Lions or a Bucks fan, granted like they just won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and, and they probably were going to win that game, but at least like it would have been kind of fun to see what maybe maybe some miracle could have happened, and always give yourself a chance. It's just weird to me whenever there's like a shot, but you're like ah. Whatever, it's over. Who cares? I just think that's kind of bizarre. And I'm sure what like what actually happened was that they were just I'm sure Todd Bowles and they just probably didn't realize that Jared Goff was dumb and snapped it with like 18 seconds to go on the play clock. Probably. Yeah. It was probably like, yeah, they're going to do the right thing and let it get that down all the way to one. There's only going to be like 15 seconds left. And, and it's just like, well, yeah, whatever, it's over. It's like it's like it's the it's like the, the Avengers meme, the, the Jeremy Renner don't give me hope type thing. Like, I get it from that standpoint. It's just like a lot of that time that stuff is played out and it just kind of hurt. It makes it hurt even more to try to like extend it even longer. But like also that's 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 pure emotion. That's not like actual cold, hard trying to win a game. OK, enough of that. Any hot takes, thoughts on the games today, which won't matter because they play in like the podcast will come out and then people will probably listen to the show after the games even happened. Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm kind of past trying to predict the NFL. I'm not sure. Like I, on paper, I, I kind of feel like the 49ers should probably toy with the lions, but it's the NFL and you can never, you can never be sure of that. And then my priors tell me that if like, and I, and I get it, this is a normie take and it's, 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 it's a cliche. Uh, I mean, if, if you're picking against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC title game, you just, it's, you're trying too hard, and I, you know, the Ravens very well may win, and they may well may win easily. I just, I don't, I think you're pulling it out of your butt if you're if you're very much like going hard in the paint on that take. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. I I went against Mahomes last week. I thought the Bills were in a great spot, giving up less than a field goal at home. First time Mahomes had played a, a road playoff game, I believe, and he was great. And the Chiefs made it happen, and the Bills kind of faltered, and they sunk. And so until, like, the Ravens, have, the Ravens and Niners have been the two best teams all season long, and Lamar Jackson's had probably his best season because he's been able to mix his legs with a, a better passing attack, and Todd Munkin gets a lot of credit for that, obviously. But until the, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson kind of get over that hump, especially against a guy like Mahomes who's – just never lost in these games. I'll 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 kind of side towards Pat Mahomes. And like I'm with you though. Like it's very possible the Ravens might the Ravens could win this game by two or three touchdowns with the way they I mean they beat the crap out of like the best teams they played this year. I mean they've they've smoked all like really good teams in this in this NFL. It's crazy. 
And I know I know Mark Andrews is back uh, today as well, and and that you know that's that's an addition to Isaiah Likely, who has been like really good the last month or so for them. Um, and so yeah, I mean you like logically when you're looking at the you know the course of the season, it's it's very easy to talk yourselves into the right. Yeah, they're just a better team. I I'm sorry, like I I and I think like I I think I I think more highly of Lamar Jackson than you do. I think Lamar Jackson is terrific. Uh, Pat Mahomes is the goat. He is the best that has ever played the position. I it's he is obscenely good and I, I'm you just and he also he's kind of got the like the whole old Patriots thing going on where he's Andy Reid in my mind is by far the best coach in the NFL um, and they also the Chiefs have a good defense so I mean that's just a really really good combination and like I understand that you know Travis Kelsey is kind of on the wrong side of his career he's definitely he's definitely made a glass these days he doesn't move as well and their best receiver is Rasheed Rice I'll take Pat Mahomes with Rasheed Rice and and sort of wash Travis Kelsey over anything that Lamar Jackson has. And I don't think that's a crazy take. The thing is, I'm looking back, during this run for Mahomes, since he's been in the league and they've been dominant, they haven't played the Ravens in the playoffs at all. And the Ravens' defense is always awesome. So that's kind of interesting. Like The first time he's seen the Ravens' defense, the Ravens' defense is, again, once again, great. Maybe that'll be his kryptonite. Maybe that's that that's the key for the Ravens, and it'll slow them down. Like you mentioned, the Chiefs' defense is good too, but man, I mean, the Ravens' offense has been pretty dynamic. I, they're they've lost a couple running backs obviously this year, like Keaton Mitchell and Dobbins at the start of the season, but Gus Bradley and Justice Hill have been fine. Like they've filled it in, and obviously Lamar's legs too. So, yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson has has been great. I I've I've always been surprised that he's been as good. Like. A big part of it was, one, he's always had a great defense. And two, they, they tailored their offense around him with Greg Roman for all those years. And now I, they bring in Todd Munkin. And you know, who knows? Maybe they could have just brought in a guy like Todd Munkin right off, the, right off the bat. And he'd have been this good from the beginning. Maybe they didn't even need to tailor it around his, his legs like they did. I don't know. But, yeah, he's been a lot better than I thought he'd be. And, you know, I guess you got to give him credit. And maybe this is the year for him. As I say, if and, and if Baltimore does pull it out today, they're in my mind they're an easy pick to win the Super Bowl. Easy. Uh, it's not. It would be. It would be Lamar Jackson against Brock Purdy or or Jared Goff. That's that's not even a decision. All right. Lastly, I don't have any thoughts on this, but we'll mention the basketball team and not great right now for OU men's basketball this week. I mean, back to back games, Texas. Back to back home games, one against Texas, one against Texas Tech. Terrific crowds. The Texas Tech game on Saturday was sold out. And they go 0-2. They, they lose both of them. And it's just uh, my only thoughts is my only thought is I don't know if Porter Moser's the guy. <laughs> I know they weren't supposed to be that great this year based on the preseason rankings or whatever, but they started so hot. They're the top 15 team. Who know, are they going to fall out of the top 25? I don't know. Who cares? I'm but not sure. It's, I, it's I mean, a lot of parody in college he, basketball. I mean, like the number one team in the country has three losses. So, I mean, there's a lot of parody. I, it's, um, it's hard not to, to look at their two games this week and just think, man, that's exactly what happened last season with like a totally different cast of characters. I mean, I just, even last year, like when they weren't, you know, a very athletic team and they, but they were still in games right at the end. Like they were, how many games did they lose when they were leading at the under four in the second half last year? 
I mean, it I just know, I mean, and that and that Texas Tech game was just like a spitting image of last year, and then you got the you know the Texas game. Like I I, I thought you know, when I watched that game, I in my mind I was like, Texas is very clearly playing their best game of the season right now. They are. I thought Texas played exceptionally well, like at kind of like a shocking level. And oh, you played poorly. Um, the Texas Tech game was more of just like a good game. Both offenses were able to get to the basket essentially whenever they wanted to. And I, Texas Tech had a dude who averages eight and a half points a game, hit seven threes, go like seven of nine from three, and score twenty seven points. Like I, it's it's weird. It's weird, but like there's there's just something that's not working, and I think everyone right now is rightfully kind of worried that this is going to turn into a tailspin because now they got to go on the road, and. I like it's they need a win like it's not like it's pretty easy for me to envision this thing spiraling out of control and them not being a tournament team same yeah they got back-to-back road games k-state and ucf two very losable games obviously i mean they haven't I, and then they got to play byu and they haven't won at k-state and i mean since the obama administration i don't think so this is i like that's they're not going to win that game uh ucf is is app is is definitely going to be, and I'm, I'm assuming that's next weekend. That's go, that's going to be a must win desperation game for OU. They're they're not winning in Bramlage. That's not happening. Not great. It's just they don't have like Javian McCollum is supposed to be kind of like the guy that can score, and he had a bad game yesterday. He couldn't score, and and it was nobody else. It was the, it was kind of the same story last year. It's you know. Sherfield was sort of hot the first 15 games of the year and was like clearly like a guy's like yeah they can kind of count on this guy and then he got into Big 12 play and he just he couldn't hang and like that's clearly what's happened with JV and McCollum right now he is kind of the talking points on him right now and it's true he is such a defensive liability that it's just it's and teams have clearly figured it out just go I mean watch the game from yesterday Texas Tech was just abusing him constantly and that's that's kind of the thing that's that's worried me in Big Twelve play. Their defense has been terrible. Like they are just it was awful against against Kansas on the road at KU. And like look at KU. They're they're losing left and right. Teams are beating them. Like they're they're definitely not the best team in the Big Twelve. Oh, you lost to them by double digits, and at times like we're totally outclassed by them. You have Texas who going into their game on Tuesday, you could have made an argument for them, like, man, is Texas the worst team in the Big Twelve? OU sure didn't make it seem like it at all. They, Texas made OU look like the worst team in the Big 12. And then in a gotta-have-it game against Texas Tech, where you're up by nine points. I mean, they were up by like nine, near the near the under four again. And then you just let... I don't know how they lost that game. I, <laughs> and their defense, I think, for a lot of a large spans were really good against Tech. I mean, they were blocking a bunch of shots, and they're like, I just thought, yeah, it's okay, they're, they're doing what they need to do in this game to win. And all of a sudden... Texas Tech just kind of comes back hanging around too much and and like they don't they don't really have much of an identity. It's like, you know, during the during the non-conference, it seemed like it was pretty clear that that it was, you know, McCollum and Owe were kind of the guys that drove them on offense where they're two best players. Like Owe at times was was dominant in the non-conference. Like teams had no answer for him. You step into the Big 12, the best conference in the league, every team has elite athletes and like I'm you're seeing that now where he's not as effective. Um, their best player in Big 12 play has been Jalen Moore, who is the best athlete on the team. He's the most freakishly athletic. McCollum has been kind of MIA, can't hold up physically. And I guess, like, I, you know, on the whole, like, when I watch them, I, 
it's pretty obvious that they're just not really sure what they have offensively and they're not really sure what to do with it. But when I watch it, like I, I, I start to think to myself, I was like, you gotta, the offense has got to start exclusively going through Uzan. Uh, he is, he's just, I, I think he is, he's their most in control. He's kind of their most consistent player. And, but I just, I just don't really know if they have much of an offensive identity and they, they go through stretches way too long of stretches where they just cannot buy a basket and they're turning it over and there's just not enough continuity on that side of the ball. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's weird. College basketball is, is weird these days where pretty much every program has, has dramatic roster turnover from year to year. And so, like, you have to live in the portal. And I, you know, on paper, it seemed like, oh, you did a really good job in the portal this year. And, like, look, I mean, they're, they're 28th in Ken Palm. They've been as high as 15th this year. Like, they're a good team. I mean, if they were playing in a different conference, it would probably, it'd probably look a lot better. But that's not the reality. And you know what? It's not going to be that much easier in the SEC. The arenas are bigger there. They're always packed. Go look at Ken Palm. There's a lot of SEC teams there. A lot of teams that have that SEC money and are putting like resources into it. And I think that's sort of the talking point right now with OU, with OU basketball is there is not a whole lot of administrative and money buy-in in that program. And one of my things is, I, you know, I, it's, it's turned into a, sort of like a cliched, a stereotypical talking point now, but the Lloyd Noble Center is unacceptable. It's a bad arena. It's when you look around college basketball these days and you realize how hard it's been to win on the road for every team this year. Like, when it, like top 10 teams this year on the road have been awful against unranked teams. Teams just dropping like flies left and right on the road because they're going into difficult road environments. And it's like one of my annoyances with college basketball. It should not be that difficult to play on the road. It shouldn't be. Um, but it is. That's a reality of it. It clearly is. It makes a huge difference. And you have to be able to have some sort of crowd that makes it hard on the opponent. And like I know like some people after the game yesterday against Texas Tech have been sort of poo-pooing this point. But the Lloyd Noble Center not being an intimidating environment is absolutely playing into their lack of success in basketball right now. There is no doubt in my mind. I mean, I agree, but whenever you have two games in a row with that type of crowd involvement, where one of the Texas game was damn near sold out at a six o'clock tip on a on a whatever a I Tuesday watched it. Or it Wednesday, didn't, it didn't seem that rowdy on TV. It just wasn't that rowdy. Well, I, it didn't seem that loud. I, mean, I know a guy that went. I, I have a friend that went to the game, and he said it was. He said the, it was like louder than he's he can ever remember in there on, against Texas, and then sold out against Texas Tech. Like you can't when you actually get the place full, basically, and then you lay eggs like that. Grant, I mean, yeah, you lay eggs. That that's not gonna help your cause, though. I mean, I I think the Lloyd Noble is is mostly not a great place because they don't fill it up. Like nobody goes. It's it's half full. But like even then, like we you know we you and I went to a game when when Kansas was in town a couple of seasons. I think it was the first year of Porter Moser. That that KU team they won the national title. And Christian Braun had to hit a three at the buzzer to win that game for, for Kansas. And that, that place was full for that game. The atmosphere in there, uh, no. it sucked, man. No, it the atmosphere sucked for that game. It wasn't full. It wasn't full. I mean, it there was, was still, still 10,000 people there, probably. I'm not sure what, the, what Lloyd Noble holds. I think it's 16,000. I think it's 16. I mean, 10,000 10, not that much then, man. But yes, I'm with you. I would prefer them to have a smaller, more intimate arena that you can be like on top of the opposing team. And yeah, that, that would be better. I agree. Okay, that's all I have.
Hopefully Oklahoma basketball can be better. <laughs> but not going to hold my breath. No, I mean, well, just make make your open jump shots, man. I just like it's and make your free throws. You, like they were one of the best. And I think they, you know that's one of the frustrating things too. You know they were they lose a game by one point. They're one of the best free throw free throw shooting teams in the country. Shooting seventy five percent as a team, that's really good. They missed nine free throws in a game that they lost by Man. one. Texas Tech missed Horrible. one free throw on set. There you go. That's the end. And the guy, you know, randomly coming off the bench and hitting seven threes. That that's that's the game. And I was like, I you know yesterday when I was watching, I was like, man, why doesn't like. Why doesn't OU ever have anything like this happen where they just like have some random guy just blow up? But like that's not even fair. They, like, the number two team in the country came into Lloyd Noble Center last year and OU beat them by 30. So they've, they've had games like that too. It's just, you know, it's just it never really happens when you absolutely need it. Well, shout out to Rivaldo Sorez, though. He had a good game. 19 points off yeah, the Yeah, he bench. had a good game. He looked, so. he, he looked good. That was their guy. I mean, they're kind of their bench guy, but he didn't. He scored 19. The other guy scored 27, McMillan. So, all right. Well, next week will be a little different. Uh, we we're trying to figure out when we're going to record. You may the, the show might come out a little like a day earlier. I got to travel next Sunday, so we'll we'll figure it out. If you listen this far, then great. If not, no big deal. Uh, but we'll continue our consistent podcast. That's the plan, and we'll be in February next week. So, uh, heck, the the off season kind of just moves on i suppose so uh enjoy the rest of the weekend enjoy the week everybody hopefully the oklahoma basketball team plays better and any other oklahoma football news that comes out we will address it on the next show so until then for grant i am lee this is west of evers if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe to the show and if you want to help us spread the word please leave us a five-star review and also tell all of your friends who are ou fans about west of everest You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.